This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Into hour two of the program. From the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Peter Klein, Logan Gordon along with you. Fan feedback line. Buzzing after our Blue Jays chat in hour one, 960-960. If you're listening live, feel free to send us a text anytime. Might even be read by one of our outstanding producers, Azam and Taylor, this afternoon. As uh, we continue here on Sportsnet 960, the fan and PK NFL season does not officially begin until next Thursday when the Kansas City Chiefs host the Detroit Lions on Thursday night football. But this week is preparation week, trimming down rosters. And one story that, of course, has caught the eyes of many north of the border has been the story of Nathan Rourke, Canadian quarterback, who signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars on a three-year contract this offseason to go down to Jacksonville and compete to be the second quarterback behind former first overall pick Trevor Lawrence. And the news came down yesterday as a surprise to many after an outstanding preseason. Nathan Rourke has been waived by the Jacksonville Jaguars and the future for where his NFL career goes from here is now very much up in the air. It was an outstanding preseason for Rourke as far as stats go, but it was also one that came with probably the most viral moment of the entire NFL preseason. Uh, The audio won't do it justice. You've probably seen the play a thousand times already, but Nathan Rourke was making it happen not only through the air, but with his feet when it came to avoiding defenders in this outstanding play earlier in the NFL's uh, preseason. Rourke, swarmed, stays on his feet somehow, will have a chance to get it away, and he completes it for a touchdown. Olison worked free, but Rourke did the magician work. Lance, you talk about creating a resume in the preseason. Well, here you go, Rourke. This is your opportunity. He sits back here in the offensive line, absolutely gets destroyed, shakes one man, two man, three, four, keeps his eyes down the field, finds his receiver down the end. Boom, that's a touchdown. Great job by the converted quarterback slash receiver. Back to quarterback, Kyle? Not really sure what's going on, but either way, he's back there making plays and causing a lot of issues for Dan Quinn and his defense. Yeah, Nathan Rourke caught the attention of many, including... Patrick Mahomes, who commented on the play, was one mm-hmm. of many. Uh, it was a stellar preseason for Rourke. 23 of 35 for 66% completion rate, 348 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. He rushed the ball 14 times for 39 yards and one score. Native of Victoria, B.C., followed that performance up uh, with another efficient outing against the Detroit Lions, where Doug Peterson praised him for his poise in the pocket, his accuracy. Uh, Didn't get to play much in last Saturday's game against the Dolphins. Uh, That game ended abruptly after uh, a serious injury to a player on Miami. Uh, Decided both teams just decided to call the game at that point uh, and return back to uh, their respective locker rooms. Um, But despite 
everything that's been talked about, this outstanding preseason, the viral play that we heard there uh, against the Dallas Cowboys, it wasn't enough for him to be in this competition. Uh, veteran C.J. Beathard was anointed as the number two uh, quarterback. He signed a two-year contract extension this offseason. And it's been interesting to hear because, yes, Rourke was great. And preseason, how how we value preseason, how coaches value preseason, how they value day-to-day practice, all of that is, is an unknown in this. Yeah. But the fact the narrative changed somewhere in Jacksonville for Nathan Rourke has to be frustrating. You brought this up. CFL News on Twitter had pulled up some early quotes from Doug Peterson and from Nathan Rourke. And it sure sounded like when Nathan Rourke signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars, he was going to be given every opportunity to be this team's number two quarterback. And man, that wasn't the message that Doug Peterson handed out during the preseason um, going as far as it, there, there is no competition for the number two spot. It's it's C.J. Beathard's job. Yeah. Um, Nathan Rourke is, is here to compete, but there's no open spot to be the number two quarterback. And after the outstanding preseason that he's had, uh, a lot of people are wondering what's next for for Nathan Rourke. How surprised were you to to find out that he had been waived by the Jags? I was quite surprised. Um, and it, it probably means he's going to end up on their practice roster. Um, but it's just it is another example of how little preseason anything means to to these teams, and that's why trying to guess along with what it means from a, a fantasy football standpoint can be a, a fool's errand. And we're seeing it here that there wasn't. Um, and not admittedly, I didn't watch every preseason game. In fact, the 90% of my preseason watching was of those two clips of Nathan Rorick. So I, um, I, I don't have a full scaring report, but it sure seemed like he was the best performing quarterback in the NFL of the, the preseason uh, of guys that you wouldn't have necessarily expected it from. But this is why it is so difficult for some of these quarterbacks to break through. You, you look at a guy like a Trey Lance, he is going to get every opportunity to, to fail, essentially, right? Like, he is a, a former first-round pick, so he's going to get a couple cracks at it before he eventually gets tossed aside, essentially. Um, and like a C.J. Beathard has been absolutely nothing special in his NFL career, but NFL coaches view him as safe. And this is not a league that has really thrived on developing quarterbacks. The the most that you're going to get is a young quarterback getting thrown into the limelight early, and then they try to, to figure it out from there. there. There's a reason why Josh Allen is as rare as he is, as someone who improved as things went along, because there just isn't a whole lot of time to let these guys grow. And so if you are coming from outside of the bubble and trying to get in, I, I think this really just shows how difficult it is for you to, to kind of break through. And I, I wonder how he's feeling today. Cause you mentioned those quotes. This is from a, a story that Justin Dunk did on three down nation. Uh, the quote from Nathan Rorick, I don't think without the assurance to compete for quarterback two, I would have made the jump to be honest to me. It wasn't worth it to go down there and be a practice roster player. It was important that I was going to be able to be on an active roster or at least have the chance. And then the balls in my court at that point. So it certainly seemed like he thought, that there was going to be an opportunity for him to, to be the QB two. It sounds like he did everything he could to be that quarterback too. And it just has not worked um, for whatever reason. It has not worked. But uh, again, a long way of saying I was quite surprised to, to see this news. And I would imagine Nathan Rourke was as well. What do you think's next for him? Do you expect him to be picked up by another team? Do you, especially given those quotes about not wanting to be a practice roster guy, because Look, it's tough, and the immediate one that comes up to my mind is probably one that you'll remember, PK. 
um, during his time here was with uh, when Bo did the Bo Levi Mitchell show here on Sportsnet 960 and talked about his uh, his time a number of years ago now going down to the NFL and working out with a couple of different teams. And he told us back then, yeah, there was options for him to be a, a number three quarterback and be a practice roster guy, but he felt, and, and rightfully so, that going back to the CFL made more sense for him and his family, and he didn't want to be a, a practice roster guy that essentially has to wait for somebody to get hurt yeah. to to get a chance to climb up. And look, I'm not saying that, that Nathan Rourke only has the Jacksonville Jaguars as an option, but I, I, I do think that there's a conversation about you know how many teams are, are willing to just stash him as a as a three on a practice roster and what his feeling would be compared to that. I, if I was an NFL team, I, I think there's there's probably somebody out there to to give him another chance. But I, I'm with you. I, if I'm Nathan Rourke, I'm a little disappointed today as to yeah. how that's worked out. Yeah, like you look at teams around the league right now, and like obviously he is not going to be a starter right away, right? Like if 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 he's not for whatever reason, beating out C.J. Beathard for the number two spot in Jacksonville, he's not going to be thrown in here week one for whatever team signs him. But if you're the Arizona Cardinals today, you, you just cut Colt McCoy for a couple of quarterbacks who people have barely heard of in their lives. Like, why not take a, a shot and just see what this kid has as your your number three option out, out in Arizona? Um, but aside from that, like, th- this is a tough time. Like, all of these teams right now are probably pretty set with A, their starting quarterback, and B, who their backup is. So that there isn't going to be a number two job that he's just going to go into week one. He is, wherever he goes, he's probably going to be in this exact situation. And so I would imagine the move probably is for him to stay with Jacksonville and stay on their practice roster and hope that uh, C.J. Beathard, something happens with him or something along those lines. And But even then, you, you are hoping for an injury so you can move up to be a clipboard holder you know like it it becomes very difficult and like financially speaking it, it's a bit of a hit like you take um a practice squad player makes about two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars during the the nfl season which i would take to, sure to, to to have minimal um things to to do but uh when you are looking at what would be a, a base salary for a player who actually made the roster eh, a bit of a pay cut there so uh, i would imagine there is a lot of frustration but the problem is all these teams are kind of set you're not going to bring in someone new to uh to to have him be your your backup in case something goes wrong and then your backup is coming in, in week one and he knows like six plays out of the playbook yeah it's just i feel bad for him i feel like he's earned the opportunity I hope we're talking about a guy that gets claimed off of waivers by a team that's uh, desperate at need for a quarterback and is willing to give him that legitimate chance because I feel like he's earned it. And as selfish as as I would be as a fan of the CFL, and, and we've I've seen the text at, at 960-960 already, um, I feel like he owes it to himself to explore it as much as he possibly can. Yeah before making a decision on the CFL. Like if I was Nathan Rourke, I'd probably put a hold on anything CFL this season and say, yeah. I want to, I want to go my way this year and see what, what's out. He's just 25. Right. And if you're going to make a commitment one way or the other to this thing, and I respect guys that, that will go back for two or three opportunities. Cause it's hard to, to pass up on that kind of money and, and that kind of opportunity in the NFL compared to the CFL at times. Yeah. Um, this is just one team 
there are, like you mentioned, the Arizona Cardinals come to, to mind. There's a number of teams that I feel like would be wise to take a look at a 25-year-old quarterback with the kind of pedigree that he brings. But there's also no guarantee of that. It's a very tough league. Guys have players that they like and players that they trust. Clearly, Jacksonville has one in C.J. Beathard. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, right. uh, it's I don't know what, what Doug Peterson sees in that relationship that uh, it gives him an advantage over a guy like Nathan Rourke, but clearly he does. Yeah. So, yes, do I think the Calgary Stampeders could, could use Nathan Rourke to the, the, the questions on the text line? Yes, absolutely, I think they do. But if I'm Nathan Rourke, I, I want to take every chance to make sure that I've exhausted my NFL options. And if the practice roster is the highest that he can get and he feels as though he can make better money being the guy in the CFL, yeah, then, then that's up to him. The CFL is always going to be there for him, right? Like he could spend the next five years on practice rosters across the, the National Football League and then decide, yeah, you know what? I want to try the CFL thing again. And I don't care who is quarterbacking who at the time. There will be nine teams falling over themselves to, to bring this kid back in, right? Like uh, I remember when, when Henry Burris left to, to go try the NFL. And then that, that's the reason why Riders fans hate him so much is he came back from the NFL and went to Calgary. And from that point on, there was a blood feud between Saskatchewan fans and Henry Burris. They've he never was, brought it up. I've no, never, yeah. They, they handled it really never well. Never heard really, any Ryder fan ever yeah. talk about that, ever. Handled it really rationally. Yeah. But, like, they, he, he left for a couple of years, and then a fan base basically turned their hatred of him into their entire personality. Um, and, like, so that, that same thing, not that Rorick's going to uh, burn the, the BC Lions and go play for the Edmonton Elks or something like that, but... The, the CFL is always going to be, I think, a safety blanket for him. I, I think that he is going to want to give e like every chance he has to this National Football League dream before he, he comes back to the Canadian Football League because he has proven everything he needs to in the CFL. If this is a, a video game, that is an accomplishment that has been fully 100% checked off. He has beat the game. So go now try the, this new level of the National Football League. It is a, a step back, but I don't think it needs to be a step out the door for sure. Uh, so we wait and see what the future of Nathan Rourke looks like with uh, whether it be the Jacksonville Jaguars or someone else. And perhaps one day, uh, who knows when, maybe a return to the CFL is on the horizon if uh, indeed he can't land uh, a full-time spot on an NFL roster. Uh, other NFL news today, mostly just cuts around the league. I I'll leave most of those unless we see a, a widely known name, uh, PK, up to everyone to look at their own. Uh, individual teams and, and have those preseason debates among their own teams. But the biggest news uh, league-wide today is from Adam Schefter of ESPN. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts will not be trading Jonathan Taylor. This was their deadline for finding an offer for him. Uh, did not get fair value back in return. And with no trade materializing, uh, he is expected to remain on the PUP list, which is the physically unable to perform list and is ineligible to play the first four games of the season. He will miss, expected to miss the games against the Jags, the Texans, the Ravens, and the Rams. Colts' next, uh, next opportunity in Schefter's mind to deal uh, Jonathan Taylor could be before the NFL's October 31st trade deadline. Then perhaps the Colts, uh, if no deal gets done then, could tag him and try to trade him again in the offseason. But according to Schefter, no end of this drama currently in sight. This is 
loser organization doing loser organization things. And that the Colts were, for a long time, the epitome uh, of an NFL franchises. But what Jim Irsay has done with this situation, and basically since Andrew Luck has left, which, by the way, to be fair, really crappy situation to just get thrown into. To have, like, franchise quarterback uh, have to, like, just retire unexpectedly. That's a real difficult thing to pivot from. But since then, they've done a really bad job of it. And now you go out and draft Anthony Richardson, a kid who seems to have this limitless ceiling, albeit a relatively limitless floor as well. There is a very wide range of outcomes with Anthony Richardson, but you take that kid fourth overall with the thought that he could be your dude, but let's not get one of the best weapons in the NFL around him. Instead, let's have this ridiculous... I was going to say something I don't know if I'm allowed to, but None. let's just have this ridiculous for it. staring contest with this running back and end up with him not being on your team, that's more valuable. Like this just, this whole thing makes no sense at all. It reeks of ego from the, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. And I, I think is just a, a horrible way to manage your team. I get you're not going to give Jonathan Taylor this gigantic contract and set your franchise back um, in terms of salary cap dollars or, or or anything like that. But to have it come down to this, where you have the, this top prospect quarterback and you're not going to surround him with, with high quality weapons is just absolutely poor management from the, the Indianapolis Colts, in, in my opinion, that they have absolutely screwed this situation up right from the word go. The dumbest thing in all of this to me is how the owners and the GMs have handled the, the running back situation as a whole that Jonathan Taylor finds himself a part of. We don't value you enough to pay you what you think you're worth. Yeah. But in a trade, we're not going to take anything less than top dollar. Exactly. That makes no sense. How does that add up? Yeah, it doesn't. Right is it, the right answer. It's it's so asinine. It doesn't. It it boggles the mind to sit here and think about how this, this situation goes. So you guys don't want to pay me top dollar. You don't want to value me as a top player on our team. But when it comes to trading me to another organization, you're expecting them to pay the top tier for me uh, in return. I don't. It's. It's undercutting your own product and then trying to sell it to somebody for top value. It doesn't make any sense to do yeah. it that way, but that's how they're handling it. And then they go, well, I couldn't have traded you. They only offered me a fourth-round pick. How in the world could I trade Jonathan Taylor for a fourth-round pick? I just couldn't <laughs> do it. Yeah. Right? And so I get why, why you'd be frustrated, and yeah, I'm with you. I, I continue to hate NFL teams that put young quarterbacks in these sort of situations and then... Uh, sit there and go, well, you didn't get anything done. I was like, okay, well, Michael Pittman's my top receiver right now. Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I by was the supposed way, to have is... an all-pro running back, and yeah. all of a sudden now you guys have pissed him off, and we got to go the first month of the season without him. So, yeah, probably like a lot of the season. Like, this this doesn't sound like it's going to be a a quick four weeks and he is back either. Like, this, this could be the entire season. We could have another Le'Veon Bell situation right now with Jonathan Taylor. And I just, again, I understand 
Um, when you look at the teams that have won the Super Bowl and you look at their running backs, it, it is not superstars, 100%. But it is mind-boggling to me that multiple kickers were traded today because teams are looking for any incremental edge they can, but they're going to actively put a subpar player out on the field because they don't want to pay a guy an extra couple of million dollars. Like that, that just, it seems so backwards to me. Like that there is absolutely a limit to, to how much you want to pay, but if you can upgrade any position on the football field, you upgrade that position on the football field and you, you figure it out later. You can cut whoever, whenever, basically, in the National Football League um, to, to, to just run out Zach Moss or Deion Jackson as your number one running back when you could have had a Jonathan Taylor if you just weren't so gosh darn stubborn it is just, it's poor management. And again, not putting your young quarterback in the best position to succeed. Yeah, it's also great news when you had a fantasy draft last night. You were really happy about taking Jonathan Taylor where you did. This is why you don't draft until like the night before the regular season starts. I can't though. I can't I always do that. I can't have I know. three drafts that night. Yes. I'm so mad. I've had three people from that league text me already. <laughs> LOL. Cool, man. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it. I was, I was stoked for a minute there. Yep. Now, just look like a, just say I look like a dummy, but I always look like a dummy. So. Oh, don't be like that. Doesn't really change anything. Yeah, that, it, so, that does. I was so happy about it. I was like, "Oh yeah, Jonathan Taylor," and here we go. And it's just, it's already over. Don't suppose you have anyone in that league who doesn't pay super close attention to football. Hey, you could just do a quick little flip. Uh, try to take advantage yeah, of an idiot. Probably not. Basically, what we do to Jeff Mason in our baseball leagues every year when I used to play. That's, that's <laughs> a brutal name drop. But fair. <laughs> That was such an unnecessary drive. I can't believe you guys should do that to him. <laughs> we did a lot. Uh, but no, like that, it, it, it is really tough. And now, like from a fantasy football standpoint, obviously, with all due respect, Jonathan Taylor is a no-go zone for, for uh, unless you want to draft him with like your very last pick in just kind of a, like the last two picks of a fantasy draft should be Kyler Murray and Jonathan Taylor in a, ah, let's just see what happens here. Yeah, well, at this point, I'm going to need Andy's help. Um, and speaking of which, after the Jays game tomorrow, short edition of Sportsnet Today, but the return of Ask Andy. If you have made fantasy mistakes or if you're trying to avoid making as many fantasy football mistakes as possible ahead of your draft, our fantasy football guru, Andy McNamara, back for another season. He will join me and PK tomorrow on the program. So uh, remember, get your texting Fingers ready. Your questions ready for tomorrow. I know uh, the preseason ones are always the ones that get the most attention from Andy. So I'll try to uh, steer some time away from my own fantasy football problems and help you uh, win your own leagues. I will. I will bring it up with Andy though. Yeah. What What do we do now? I drafted Jonathan Taylor. Now what? Run and out and can, get Zach Moss, and he can go and try to save my uh, <laughs> save my entire season. Uh, he's Peter Klein. I'm Logan Gordon. Uh, continue the football chat next. Calgary Stampeders uh, getting set for Labor Day. It's a big one against the Elks. Expectations for this game higher, lower than they should be for the Stamps. We'll uh, talk some CFL football as uh, Sportsnet Today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. It's one of the biggest weeks on the CFL calendar. Labor Day weekend is upcoming. Of course, the Monday night matchup here in Calgary. The Stampeders and the Elks. 5 p.m. start. A little later than usual this season. I noticed that, yeah. I, I saw that. I was like, that's not normal, is no, it? No, we're usually 2.30 kickoff just for the flyover. 
get a couple of beverages, get ready for what's usually one of the games of the season. And this year, taking on a bit of a different meaning as far as importance goes. Of course, the Elks are two and nine and the Stamps are three and eight, but still Feel the drama. There's there's a lot a lot riding on this Labor Day KPK. <laughs> Uh, Labor Day weekend kicks off on Saturday with the Lions and the Alouettes. You've got the Blue Bombers and the Riders on Sunday. And then the Battle of Ontario with Toronto and Hamilton, I guess one of the versions of the Battle of Ontario, yeah. uh, kicks things off Monday at 1.30. Elks and Stamps, 5 o'clock from McMahon Stadium. We, we talked a lot of CFL on Monday's program. Uh, we talked about the Elks ending their home losing streak. We chatted with John Hodge about just some general feels around uh, different teams in the CFL right now. And look, I mean, I'm incredibly intrigued by the Calgary Stampeders because I, I, there's talent here. That's the frustrating thing about this team is, is there's talent and talent that's got it done before. Mm-hmm. There's a good coach here. I think the coaching staff is, is strong with Dave Dickinson and, you know, Pat DeMonk, all these guys that we, we know can get it done. I'm just not used to seeing this team shoot themselves in the foot as often as this team has. And yeah. putting all three of those elements together in, in one 60-minute performance has frustrated so many because last week's the perfect example against Toronto. The offense finds its legs and looks a lot more like the offense I think we all expected because Reggie Begleton is full of talent and so is Mark and Michelle and Markeith Ambles is still a very good receiver in this league and Jake Mayer was starting to put it together mm-hmm. and that's more of what we thought this team would be and then of course it's one of those times where the defense can't pick it up. One of the few times this year where the defense hasn't been able to hold off the opposition just so happens to be that game where your offense gave you a, a noticeable contribution. And then the special teams aspect adds on to it. Yeah. And you give up a, a punt return to Javon Lee, who's been incredible, but still it, it's just been, it's been one mistake after another. And it's very unusual Stampeders football that we've seen and almost never seen under John Huffnagel or Dave Dickinson coach teams. No, you're right. It, it is very unstampeders like, and it, it can be incredibly frustrating. And, and you, you look at it. And uh, when I was on with you guys a couple of weeks ago and, and with Matty Rose in the, the morning as well, you were looking at it and it was just when they were going into this stretch of the, the four games leading up to Labor Day. And I was saying, man, if they could just keep it close with some of these games, that, that would feel like a win. But now you've come out of it. You kept it close against Toronto, kept it close against Winnipeg. But but as uh, John mentioned on the show yesterday, that was just an absolutely putrid performance from both football teams in that game. And so it, it, it's just at some point you are what you are. And the, the whole Bill Parcells, you are what your record says that you are. Right now, this is a bad football team because they're 3-8. and eight. They could be lapped. By the time these two games against Edmonton is done, it is, uh, there is a non-zero chance they're in last place behind a team that started 0-9, starting the wrong quarterback. Like it, it's, it, it has been a bit of a disaster in, in Calgary, and I get the offense is figuring it out, and, and that is great, and I will be the first to admit that maybe I was a bit too hard on, on Mayer, and he might, I don't know if he's going to ever be the best quarterback in the Canadian Football League, but he seems like he's going to be fine. And with the weapons around him, 
it, it does seem like things are going to be working defensively. Um, the defensively that there, there seems to be a, a bit of a, a struggle now, but then the defense will step up, hold Montreal to 25 points or whatever it is. And then the offense only gets you 18. Um, and it's just the thing that is really, I mean, all of it's concerning to be fair that there isn't one aspect of this football team right now that doesn't at least have a bit of an alarm bell going off. Like, okay, something might be wrong here. The special teams is such a weird one. Like Mark Killam for forever. There's a reason why he's like the only special teams quarter uh, coordinator in the league that everyone knows the name of because he has been one of the more consistent ones. And this has been a consistent group for a long time. And to have that part crumbling and, and John said it on the show yesterday, this team has given up four special teams touchdowns now, and we're not even at Labor Day yet. That is absurd that this team probably went several years between giving up four touchdowns on, on special teams. And to have it now happen this year, like all of it is really concerning right now. Their point differential is in the, the high negative 40s right now. Like just nothing about this team is clicking. And yeah, like maybe you're a couple bounces away from a, a win against uh, a Saskatchewan or a Winnipeg, but then you're a couple bounces away from being five and six like that. That still doesn't help you out. Like this is, I think, really concerning what's going on with the Stampeders this year. There seems to be, in my mind, three CFL tiers right now. There's the top tier, which is Toronto, Winnipeg, and BC, I think. Yeah. I think there's the murky middle, which is Saskatchewan and Montreal, who I ironically swapped quarterbacks this season. <laughs> yeah. And then there's, I don't know what you are. There's yeah. Calgary, Edmonton, Hamilton, and Ottawa. And I don't know what any of those teams are at this point. I, I don't have a clue. I don't know if Edmonton can sustain this kind of momentum. It's been great to end those losing streaks. Congratulations to them. But I still don't know that that, that continues for the remainder of the season. Mm -hmm. Hamilton, you, you've been a massive disappointment for a team that's supposed to be hosting a great cup yeah. and has spent all that money. What happens when Bo comes back? I, I could not tell you. Honestly, from their perspective, probably nothing. I, no, I wouldn't I change a thing with what's going on right now. Uh, Ottawa, Crumsman, nice, a nice find for filling in for Jeremiah Masoli, but it hasn't led to wins. They're still 3-8 and eight on the season. It's not a, a dramatically better team. And one of those wins was against Calgary. Yeah. In a shootout at McMahon Stadium. So uh, it's, it's weird because, like you said, there's, with the potential of a crossover in the East still available, I, I guess, in the West, too, um, because Saskatchewan is 5-5. Five and five, Yeah, and playing their third-string quarterback. Yeah, and about to go against Winnipeg. That's not going to go well, I don't think. In back-to-back -back games. Um, yeah, it's... If you know what, what anybody is in this league outside of... And even then, I mean, Toronto, it's great. It's nice to see, but this is Chad Kelly's first time starting in a CFL season. Mm -hmm. Can he maintain it? BC's looked good and then looked bad at times. I, I know what Winnipeg is. Yes. I know Winnipeg's the most consistent. I know they're the best team in the CFL when they're at their best. Past that, it's a lot of question marks for me. Mm -hmm. No, and I um, I think I'm okay saying this, but I, I'm part of the, the group that puts together um, the, the power rankings at, at three down for the, the CFL. And one, two, three, 
and then nine were all very easy for most of this season because it was one of Toronto, Winnipeg, and BC in that top three, and then Edmonton was firmly a ninth. And now they've gone off and won a couple of games, and now that's not even a lock anymore. And it was at a point where Montreal, Saskatchewan, and Calgary were difficult to, to figure out what, what order you were putting them in at four, five, and six. And now Calgary's not in that conversation at all. That they have worked their way out of that discussion. And but again, th- this is the the thing, and this is what is also so incredibly frustrating about what's happening in Calgary is that Saskatchewan has gone through two quarterbacks and are are five and five, but one of those wins is a game against Calgary. The Stampeders had an opportunity here to put Cal or to put Saskatchewan and to put Hamilton basically in their rear view mirror and lock in either third in the West or a crossover into the East instead of as it sits right now being on the outside looking in because none of those teams have done anything to, to separate themselves aside from that top tier of Winnipeg, BC and Toronto. And now Montreal is starting to, to pull away as well, but Saskatchewan has done nothing to impress. They just that they are a 500 team with a negative 62 point differential. That is very difficult to pull off. Um, uh, Hamilton like has just now kind of figured out the quarterback position. There's no way you look at Calgary on paper and think they should be behind those teams. And that is what is so frustrating is that it's been right there all season long. Just go out and take it. And it's, it's miscue after miscue. It's bad interception. It's missed defensive assignment. It's missed field goal. It's missed tackle on a kick return for a touchdown. It is all these things that for a decade, this Stampeders team thrived at that has let them down and put them in a spot where in a league filled with inconsistency, they've kind of been consistent, just not in the way you would want them to be. Who needs to win the most this Labor Day weekend? The first weekend of Labor Day? Who needs to win the most? Oh, I like that question a lot. Um, Look, Calgary... I think there's different ways to view it. Yeah, Calgary has to be up there, right? You think so? uh, A loss this weekend... um, Now... Again, it doesn't feel like Saskatchewan and Hamilton are going to pull away in the next couple of weeks, right? Like with now Hamilton doesn't have the back-to-back against Toronto, which I learned about 35 seconds ago when I was clicking through the CFL schedule. Hamilton's playing Ottawa on Friday, which is a, a stupid turnaround uh, and B, not what I was expecting for the weekend after Labor Day. So they don't have the double up against Toronto, but still Hamilton and Saskatchewan don't feel like they're going to pull away, but holy crap. If Calgary moves into a tie with Edmonton for last place in the CFL's West Division, that feels just absolutely devastating. So Calgary is certainly up there. I will say it's probably BC because, again, it feels like Winnipeg is probably going to sweep Saskatchewan in in this back-to-back. At least they should. BC has to keep pace. Now, they can't next week. They're not playing. But... They, I think they cannot let Winnipeg run away and hide for the reasons we talked about with John yesterday about who, uh, what home field advantage in the West final means to whoever has it. BC has to try to keep pace with Winnipeg. They have to get the, this slide kind of figured out. I think they need to go out and make a statement against the Montreal team that is starting to, to come on a little bit. So I think BC is probably number one, but I would say Calgary is probably number two in that spot. Yeah, and, and the reason I bring that up is because in the grand scheme of things, does a team moving from three and eight to four and eight actually like, does that matter? Uh, and, and in a sense, I would say, no, it probably doesn't. You're still four games below 500, 
but in the same sense, you're, you're right. I mean, from a a morale standpoint, from a just a, a second half of the season expectation. Yeah. You know, how does how does Dave Dickinson and the rest of this Stampeders crew handle the back half of the season if it starts out with one or two losses to Edmonton? And it's very possible. I'm sorry. I would have told you a couple weeks ago if it was Taylor Cornelius, there's no chance the Stamps were losing both games to the Edmonton Elks. Yeah. With Trey Ford, it's just a different conversation. 100%. And I, I just... I don't know how you sell hope for the rest of the season if that's the outcome that happens uh, when we're talking about this in a couple of weeks after that Labor Day rematch in Edmonton. So, yeah, I think they're among the teams. I still think Hamilton has a lot to prove here. Yeah. I, I still look at them and say, man, you guys have spent so much money and put so many expectations on this group to get it done. And to get to a Grey Cup, and yes, you've been stifled a couple of years by Winnipeg. You're going back home, and as of right now, uh, there's more questions about you even making the playoffs than it is being at your own Grey Cup. So yeah, you've got to find a way to make this at least interesting for your fan base down the stretch. If, if for anything, for ticket sales for the Grey Cup in Hamilton, try to, to push that a little bit further because I guess you can continue to sell that when Bo gets back, we're going to get back in action and We've just got to keep ourselves in there, but I don't know, Bo, it's been a small sample size, hasn't looked like the Bo no. they expected. Bo's not that guy anymore. I don't think so, and if I'm them, I'm, I'm still trying to sell all this money that I spent this year. A win against Toronto would go a long way. I'm not holding my breath for it, though. <laughs> no. Like, I mean, hey, they like <laughs> they have hit both extremes the last couple of weeks, right? With a, a win over BC after losing to Edmonton. So anything is possible. Oh, this, yeah. The CFL <laughs> remains just that league where you're like, yeah, I just, I'd like to tell you I know what's going to happen, but God knows. I just, I just don't know. Yeah. I look like for, for Hamilton. I, 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 from the beginning, thought the Bo Levi-Mitchell contract was a gigantic mistake. I, I don't think he's that guy anymore. Love the dude. Uh, when he came in here, it was awesome. Was phenomenal for the Calgary Stampeders. An absolute Hall of Famer. All of those things. Uh, he's not that guy anymore. He's just not. The, the wear and tear, I, I think, has taken a toll, for sure, on, on Bo Levi-Mitchell. And I, I don't think he helps advance things in Hamilton now. And and I think for the Ticats... Do you think Orlando Steinauer might be on the hot seat with how this season has gone? It has been close, but no cigar a number of times. They were the best team in, quite frankly, a very bad East Division for a while. That division has caught up to them and now seems to be at least 50% of the way of passing them um, in the East Division. Now, I don't think it is all his fault, but I wonder if there is maybe a desire to have a, a different voice in that room in Hamilton if this year doesn't necessarily go their way. Again, I don't think it's all his fault, but you can see from an ownership standpoint and from a, a management standpoint, when you come so close and now it seems like you are so far away and this was supposed to be the big year that maybe you did end this drought. And instead, it might be your biggest rival going into your place and making it two Grey Cups in a row. That would be a, a whole lot for Hamilton to to try to stomach. So I wonder if Orlando Steinauer is on the uh, the hot seat right now with the Ticats. See, and I would say that, to, and 99% of the time I'd agree with you, except this league employs one of the dumbest rules I've ever seen. Yeah, in, might be the dumbest, quite frankly. In a operations cap. So 
I don't know what his contract status is because, again, they don't like to divulge any of that information. Um, and second to that, if he's got any term left on his contract, after all the money they've spent, yeah, are they going to be okay with his money on the books? And then who do you go get? Because he's got to be one of the higher paid head coaches in the league, given his longevity now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would assume. So, and he has like three different titles with them too. Exactly. So you'd be you'd have to hire either you're doing a Chris Jones and you're hiring some hiring someone to, to do like eight different things for you. But he has a, a, he's wearing a few hats with that team now. Yeah. So and I mean, it should be easier than this because this operations cap shouldn't exist. Right. But unfortunately, uh, as for most situations where I would normally agree with you, I, I can't without looking ahead to that portion of it and saying, yeah, okay. Maybe, but are, is this team financially strong enough to to take that kind of hit? And then what kind of money are they spending on the next guy? I can't, yeah. I just can't tell you that. God, it's a stupid rule. I like, I can't think of one justification for that rule. Well, and I, and I asked John Hodge about this a few weeks ago and look, the, the general consensus has been that during COVID and, and after COVID, it was a chance to give everybody an equal playing field coming back because the situations were going to be different for everybody, but we're past that now. Yeah. Like we're, we're back to the point where I think everyone needs to be able to go out and spend. If you want to spend more on coaches than another team does, then that's your prerogative as an ownership group, whether it be community owned or, you know, a corporation owner, whatever the situation is, I can't, we can't all, I just don't, I don't understand it. I, I think you're, you're limiting a league from getting better. Yeah. Is always how I've seen this, right? Yeah. You're you're limiting the, the amount of smart people who can come into your league. Like that that's which at its core is really dumb to do. And I understand like COVID and all of these things. At some point the playing field isn't going to be level. You know, like at some point the fans in Toronto just aren't going to take to this thing the same way they have in Saskatchewan. That like at, at some like we can try to level the playing field with salary caps and all of that. At some point, you can't level it off for everyone. You can't be okay. Well, look, BC's had two weeks of Nathan Rorick, so now it's Edmonton's turn. You know, like I, I understand trying to level the playing field as much if you can as you can. At some point, you have to accept certain teams are going to have certain advantages. And if you run your organization successfully to the point of actually being able to make money in this league, you should be able to spend it, which I understand wild idea, but I I just can't imagine any other sports league on the planet doing anything similar to this. Like it, it just, it makes no sense to me. Also, just because you spend the most doesn't always mean you get the smartest guy. The Hamilton Tiger Cats just spent a whole lot of money on, on Bo Levi Mitchell, and I don't think that was the smartest allocation of uh, of dollars, personally. So I, I don't think that just because you spend the most, the, the Riders spent a whole lot of money to get Chris Jones and his whole regime into Saskatchewan. And I would go so far as to say he has sent that organization back about 10 years. Just because you spend the most doesn't mean you spend it the most wisely. So I it, it is. Oh, it's so dumb. God, I hate it. I don't, I don't get it. I just... It's why are you trying it's to it's a dramatic? Yourself? It's a dramatic, over the top analogy that I'll make here. But stop trying to make the Yankees and the A's the same thing. Yeah, you know what I mean in that sense. 
Mm-hmm. And look, somebody will will overreact to to what I said there in a in a way that I didn't intend it. But that's that's what it feels like we're doing is we're trying to to make up rules so that everybody is as equal and every and sports aren't equal. There are different no. markets and different owners and different weather, different taxes, all these sort of things yeah. that, that there's change. only so much you can level playing. Yeah, field, at right? some at some point it's just on the organization. If you want to spend two million dollars on on a coaching staff, then spend two million dollars on a coaching staff. If you're your owner says you get one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to spend at whatever position, then that's that's what you deal with. And yeah. people have been doing that for decades in sports. Why why does the CFL think that it's somehow? I don't even know if they think they're ahead of the time or if they think that it's. I wonder if they think it's a necessity given the the financial status of of certain teams. But in it's the league. not but on then, them though. No, they don't own any of the teams anymore. No. No, I, it it makes no sense to me. And like the the NHL, they have owners. Any every like as if Randy Ambrose is the one that gets to tell all these owners how to spend their money. Yeah, he does. The league doesn't get to do that. There should be some reward for doing well, right? And it, it's I, I just or if you want to spend the money, just spend the money. Who I mean, if yeah. the CFL team doesn't isn't in it for the profit, and it's just like, look, I just want to put a good product out on the field and. I feel by spending more on GMs and scouting and all this sort of thing that I can go ahead and do that. And I don't care if at the end of the day we walk out in the red, then we walk out in the red, then let them do that. Yeah. It, it's just, it's not up to the league to get to decide that. No, no, I, I could not agree more. And I just think you want as many smart people in your league as possible. And that there is no advantage to having Chris Jones having 85 jobs with the Edmonton Elks and Orlando Steinauer being the, the president of football operations and head coach and also the person in charge of the popcorn and one of the ticket takers and a vendor in section 225. Like it just, it, none of that makes any sense to, to building your league into it being as strong as possible. It is by definition limiting your league. And, and you're right. Like eventually the playing field isn't going to be limited. The NHL has a salary cap at some point. Florida is just cooler to live in than Calgary. We, we kind of have to accept that, right? Like at some point it's a bit of a tough sell to get people to go from Las Vegas to Winnipeg, you know, and all due respect to, I love it here in Calgary, but nine months of the year, it kind of sucks sometimes like every, unless you are playing every game on a neutral field in like a, a dome in somewhere in Hawaii or something, then you you are not going to have a, an actual limit uh, or an actual level playing field. And I, I think it is kind of setting the league back a little bit. CFL week 13 again, kicks off on Saturday lions and the Montreal Alouettes followed up by the bombers and riders on Sunday, doubleheader Monday, Argos, tie cats, Edmonton Elks in Calgary to take on the Calgary Stampeders who will be wearing their black Labor Day uniforms. Looking forward to uh, them breaking out uh, one of the best jersey combos in the league on Monday. Every team should have a black jersey. Every team should have a Labor Day jersey. Oh, I like that. Specialty jerseys. Reverse retros. Remember when the league used to do the signature series? Yes. Was that what it was called? Yeah. Riders went with that watermelon helmet thing. Yeah, and the like. Stands they had like the a outlaw. Little... Bombers did blue camo with the W on the front. Oh, that's They've right. Kind of brought that back. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember everybody's, and I don't know if I can. Get creative with jerseys too. Elks went with the EE right on the jersey. 
I think so, yeah. I can't remember what the Lions did. Probably uh, really orange. I can't remember. I can't. You need to go back to the, the 90s and the gaudy logos on the, the shoulder pads. Like Joe Monford with the, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats logo that was bigger than your head on his shoulder. The Argos was white with an A on it, I think. Is that right? I can't remember. I love uh, you and me are Jersey nerds though, so we could I could go for New Jerseys all like, the time, all the time. Yeah, we could do New Jersey eighteen every, different jerseys for uh, <laughs> for games every single year, and I'd be <laughs> happy with it. Uh, special jerseys for Week Eight in the CFL. Why? It's Week Eight, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> New Jerseys. Uh, he's Peter Klein. I'm Logan Gordon. That's uh, our two in the books. Quick reminder, if you missed anything, uh, our podcasts go up literally moments after every hour finishes. You can find it wherever you find your favorite podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. When we come back, we'll turn the attention to hockey. Uh, coming up in hour three, the Professional Women's Hockey League has its inaugural six cities and how they are going to work out the player selection process. So Haley Salvian is going to join us next hour to chat about that. Plus, we'll dive into some Calgary Flames conversation. That, as a Tuesday edition of Sportsnet Today, rolls on here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.